This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, contact LibriVox.org. Yang Chu's Garden of Pleasure From the Book of Li Zhu The Yang Chu Chapter Translated from the Chinese by Professor Anton Fork Chapter 1 The Vanity of Fame Yang Chu, when traveling in Lu, put up at Mang Sun Yang's. Mang asked him, A man can never be more than a man. Why do people still trouble themselves about fame? Yang Chu answered, If they do so, their object is to become rich. Mang, But when they have become rich, why do they not stop? Yang Chu, They aim at getting honors. Mang, Why then do they not stop when they have got them? Yang Chu, on account of their death. Meng. But what can they desire still after their death? Yang Chu. They think of posterity. Meng. How can their fame be available to their posterity? Yang Chu. For fame's sake, they endure all kinds of bodily hardship and mental pain. They dispose of their glory for the benefit of their clan, and even their fellow citizens profit by it. How much more so do their descendants? Howbeit it becomes those desirous of real fame to be disinterested, and disinterestedness means poverty, and likewise they must be unostentatious, and this is equivalent to humble condition. How then can fame be disregarded? And how can fame come of itself? The ignorant, while seeking to maintain fame, sacrifice reality. By doing so, they will have to regret that nothing can rescue them from danger and death, and not only learn to know the difference between ease and pleasure and sorrow and grief. Chapter 2. Real and False Greatness Yang Chu said, Huan Ching filled his post as a minister of Qi in the following way. When his sovereign was wanton, he was wanton too. When his sovereign was prodigal, he was also prodigal. He met his wishes and obeyed him. Following the right path, he made the kingdom prosper. But after the king's death, he was only Mr. Guan again. Nothing more. When Tian was minister of Qi, he behaved as follows. When his sovereign was overbearing, he was condescending. When his sovereign collected taxes, he distributed money. Thus the people admired him. And in consequence, he entered into the possession of the kingdom of Qi. His descendants still hold it to this day. If anybody has real greatness, he is poor. If his greatness is spurious, he is rich. Yang Chu said, The really good man is not famous. If he be famous, he is not really a good man. For all fame is nothing but falsehood. Of old, Yao and Shun pretended to yield the empire to Su Yu and Shuan Chun, but they did not lose it, and enjoyed happiness for a hundred years. Po Yo and Su Qi really abdicated on account of the prince Ku Chu, and lost their kingdom at last, finally dying of starvation on the mountain of Shou Yang. This is the difference between real and false. Footnotes Guan Chang died 645 BC. Tian became king of Qi. 370 BC. The prince of Ku Chu, the father of these two brothers, 
had appointed the younger brother, Shu Chi, to be his successor. The latter not wishing to deprive his brother, and the former not desiring to act against his father's will, both left the principality and died in poverty. End footnotes. Chapter 3. The Brevity of Conscious Life. Yang Chu said, One hundred years is the limit of a long life. Not one in a thousand ever attains to it. Yet if they do, still unconscious infancy and old age take up about half this time. The time he passes unconsciously while asleep at night, and that which is wasted through awake during the day, also amounts to another half of the rest. Again pain and sickness, sorrow and fear, fill up about a half, so that he really gets only ten years or so for his enjoyment. And even then there is not one hour free from some anxiety. What then is the object of human life? What makes it pleasant? Comfort and elegance, music and beauty. Yet one cannot always gratify the desire for comfort and elegance nor incessantly enjoy beauty and music. Besides, being warned and extorted by punishments and rewards, urged forward and repelled by fame and laws, men are constantly rendered anxious, striving for one vain hour of glory and providing for the splendor which is to survive their death. They go their own solitary ways, analyzing what they hear with their ears and see with their eyes, and carefully considering what is good for body and mind. So, they lose the happiest moments of the present, and cannot really give way to these feelings for one hour. How do they really differ from chained criminals? The ancients knew that all creatures enter but for a short while into life, and must suddenly depart in death. Therefore, they gave way to their impulses and did not check their natural propensities. They denied themselves nothing that could give pleasure to their bodies. Consequently, as they were not seeking fame, but were following their own nature, they went smoothly on, never at variance with their inclinations. They did not seek posthumous fame. They never did anything criminal, and of glory and fame, rank and position, as well as the span of their life, they took no heed. Chapter 4. Death, the Equalizer Yang Chu said, that in which all beings differ is life. That in which they are alike is death. During life, there is the difference of intelligence and dullness, honor and meanness, but in death, there is the equality of rottenness and putrefaction. Neither can be prevented. Although intelligence and dullness, honor and meanness exist, no human power can affect them, just as rottenness and putrefaction cannot be prevented. Human beings cannot make life and death, intelligence and stupidity, honorableness and meanness what they are, for all beings live and die equally, are equally wise and stupid, honorable and mean. Some die at the age of ten, some at one hundred. The wise and benevolent die as the cruel and imbecile. In life they are known as Yao and Shun, but dead they are so many bones which cannot be distinguished. But if we hasten to enjoy our life, we have no time to trouble about what comes after death. Footnote Yao and Shun, the two model emperors of antiquity. End footnote Chapter 5 False Virtues Yang Chu said, Po Yi was not without desire. 
for being too proud of his purity of mind, he was led to death by starvation. Chan Chi was not passionless, for being too proud of his virtue, he happened to reduce his family. Those who in pursuit of purity and virtue do good in a false way resemble these men. Footnote Chan Chi, the proper name of Fu Xie Hui, an official in the state of Lu, famous for his continence, which prevented him from getting children, so that he reduced his family. And footnote. Chapter 6. The Ideal Life. Yuan Si lived in mean circumstances in Lu, while Sei Kung amassed wealth in Wei. Poverty galled the one, and riches caused uneasiness to the other. So poverty will not do, nor wealth either. But what then will do? I answer, enjoy life and take one's ease. For those who know how to enjoy life are not poor, and he that lives at ease requires no riches. Footnote. Si Kong was a disciple of Confucius. And footnote. Chapter 7. Duty to the Living and the Dead. Yang Chu said, There is an old saying, We must pity the living and part with the dead. This is a good saying. Pity does not merely consist in an unusual feeling. So we may give the feverish rest, satiety to the hungry, warmth to the cold, and assistance to the miserable. But for the dead, when we have rightly bewailed them, to what use is it to place pearls and jewels in their mouths, or to dress them in state robes, or offer animals in sacrifice, or to expose effigies of paper? Chapter 8 The Art of Life Yen Ping Chung asked Guan Yi Wu as to cherishing life. Footnote Both famous statesmen of antiquity in the service of the Dukes of Qi. End footnote. Quan Yi Wu replied, It suffices to give it its free course, neither checking nor obstructing it. Yan Ping Chung said, And as to details? Quan Yi Wu replied, Allow the ear to hear what it likes, the eye to see what it likes, the nose to smell what it likes the mouth to say what it likes, the body to enjoy the comforts it likes to have, and the mind to do what it likes. Now, what the ear likes to hear is music, and the prohibition of it is what I call obstruction to the ear. What the eye likes to look at is beauty, and it's not being permitted to regard this beauty I call obstruction of sight. What the nose likes to smell is perfume, and it's not being permitted to smell I call obstruction to scent. What the mouth likes to talk about is right and wrong. And if it is not permitted to speak, I call it obstruction of the understanding. The comforts the body enjoys to have are rich food and fine clothing. And if it is not permitted, then I call that obstruction of the senses of the body. What the mind likes is to be at peace. And it's not being permitted to rest... I call obstruction of the mind's nature. All these obstructions 
are a source of the most painful vexation. Morbidly to cultivate this cause of vexation, unable to get rid of it, and so have a long but very sad life of a hundred, a thousand, or ten thousand years, is not what I call cherishing life. But to check this source of obstruction, and with calm enjoyment to await death for a day, a month, or a year, or ten years, is what I understand by enjoying life. Quan Yi Wu said, Since I have told you about cherishing life, please tell me how it is with the burial of the dead. Yan Ping Chung said, Burying the dead is but of very little importance. What shall I tell you about it? Quan Yi Wu replied, I really wish to hear it. Yan Ping Chung answered, what can I do when I'm dead? They may burn my body, or cast it into deep water, or inter it, or leave it uninterred, or throw it wrapped up in a mat into some ditch, or cover it with princely apparel and embroidered garments and rest it in a stone sarcophagus. All that depends on mere chance. Quan Yi Wu looked round at Pao Shu Huang and said to him, both of us have made some progress in the doctrine of life and death. Chapter 9. The Happy Voluptuaries Se Chan was minister in Chang, and governed for three years, and governed well. Footnote. The famous minister of Chang, Kun Sun Chao, who lived about B.C. 550. End footnote. The good people complied with his injunctions, and the bad were in awe of his prohibitory laws. So Chang was governed, and the princes were afraid of it. Se Chan had an older brother, Kun Sun Chao, and a younger, Kun Sun Mu. The former was fond of feasting, and the latter of gallantry. In the house of Kun Sun Chao, a thousand barrels of wine were stored, and yeast piled up in heaps. Within a hundred paces from the door, the smell of drugs and liquor offended people's noses. He was so much under the influence of wine that he ignored the feeling of remorse, was unconscious of the safe and dangerous parts of the path of life, what was present or wanting in his house, the near or remote degrees of relationship, the various degrees of relationship, the joy of living, and the sadness of death. Footnote. The nine degrees of relationship are counted from great-great-grandfather to great-great-grandson. And footnote. Water, fire, and swords might also touch his person, and he would be unaware of it. Within the house of Kun Sun Mu, there was a compound of about thirty or forty houses, which he filled with damsels of exquisite beauty. So much was he captivated by their charms, that he neglected his relatives and friends, broke off all family intercourse, and retiring into his inner court, turned night into day. Within three months, he only came forth once, and yet he still did not feel contented. Was there a pretty girl in the neighborhood? He would try to win her with bribes or allurements, and only desisted with the impossibility of obtaining his desires. Say chan pondering over these things, Selfly betook himself to Tang Hsi to consult him, and said, I have heard that the care for one's own person has its influence on the family, and the care 
taken of a family influences the state. That is to say, starting from the nearest one reaches to what is distant. I have taken care of my kingdom, but my own family is in disorder. Perhaps this way is not the right one. What am I to do? What measures am I to take to save these two men? Tang Hsi replied, I have wondered for a long while at you, but I did not dare to speak to you first. Why do you not always control them? Administer exhortations based on the importance of life and nature, or admonitions regarding the sublimity of righteousness and proper conduct. Sei Chan did as Tang Hsi advised, and taking an opportunity of seeing his brothers, said to them, That in which man is superior to beasts and birds are his mental faculties. Through them he gets righteousness and propriety, and slow glory and rank fall to his share. You are only moved by what excites your sense, and indulge only in licentious desires, endangering your lives and natures. Hear my words. Repent in the morning, and in the evening you will already have gained the wage that will support you. Chow and Mu said, Long ago we knew it, and made our choice. Nor had we to wait for your instructions to enlighten us. It is very difficult to preserve life and easy to come by one's death. Yet who would think of awaiting death, which comes so easily on account of the difficulty of preserving life? You value proper conduct and righteousness in order to excel before others, and you do violence to your feelings and nature in striving for glory. That, to us, appears to be worse than death. Our only fear is lest wishing to gaze our fill at all the beauties of this one life and to exhaust all the pleasures of the present years, the repletion of the belly should prevent us from drinking what our palate delights in or the slackening of our strength not allow us to revel with pretty women. We have no time to trouble about bad reputations or mental dangers. Therefore, for you to argue with us and disturb our minds merely because you surpass others in ability to govern and to try and allure us with promises of glory and appointments is indeed shameful and deplorable. But we will now settle the question with you. See now, if anybody knows how to regulate external things, the things do not of necessity become regulated, and his body still has to toil and labor. But if anybody knows how to regulate internals, the things go on all right, and the mind obtains peace and rest. Your system of regulating external things will do temporarily, and for a single kingdom, but it is not in harmony with the human heart, while our method of regulating internals can be extended to the whole universe, and there would be no more princes and ministers. We always desired to propagate this doctrine of ours, and now you would teach us yours. Sei-chan, in his perplexity, found no answer. Later on, he met and informed Tang Hsi. Tang Hsi said, You are living together with real men without knowing it. Who calls you wise? Chang has been governed by chance and without merit of yours. Chapter 10 The Joyous Life of Tuan Mu Shu Tuan Mu Shu of Wei was descended from Sei Kung, he had a patrimony of 10,000 gold pieces. Indifferent to the chances of life, he followed his own inclinations.
what the heart delights in, he would do and delight in. With his walls and buildings, pavilions, verandas, gardens, parks, ponds and lakes, wine and food, carriages, dresses, women and attendants, he would emulate the princes of Chi and Chu and luxury. Whenever his heart desired something, or his ear wished to hear something, his eye to see, or his mouth to taste, he would procure it at all costs, though the thing might only be had in a far-off country, and not in the kingdom of Chi. When on a journey, the mountains and rivers might be ever so difficult and dangerous to pass, and the roads ever so long, he would still proceed just as men walk a few steps. A hundred guests were entertained daily in his palace. In the kitchens there were always fire and smoke, and the vaults of his hall and peristyle incessantly resounded with songs and music. The remains from his table he divided first among his clansmen. What they left was divided among his fellow citizens, and what these did not eat was distributed throughout the whole kingdom. When Tuan Mu Shu reached the age of sixty, and his body and mind began to decay, he gave up his household and distributed all his treasures, pearls and gems, carriages and dresses, concubines and female attendants. Within a year he had disposed of his fortune, and to his offspring he had left nothing. When he fell ill, he had no means to buy medicines in a stone lancet, and when he died, there was not even money for his funeral. All his countrymen who had benefited by him contributed money to bury him, and gave back the fortune of his descendants. When Chin Ku Li heard of this, he said, Tuan Mu Shu was a fool, who brought disgrace to his ancestor. When Tuan Kang Sheng heard of it, he said, Tuan Mu Shu was a wise man. His virtue was much superior to that of his ancestors. The common-sense people were shocked at his conduct, but it was in accord with the right doctrine. The excellent man of Wei only adhered to propriety. They surely had not a heart like his. Footnote Qin Ku Li is said to have been a pupil of the philosopher Mei Ti. And footnote. Chapter 11 the folly of desire for long life. Mang Sun Yang asked Yang Chu, There are men who cherish life and care for their bodies with the intention of grasping immortality. Is that possible? Yang Chu replied, According to the laws of nature, there is no such thing as immortality. Mang Sun Yang. Yet, is it possible to acquire a very long life? Yang Chu According to the laws of nature, there is no such thing as a very long life. Neither can life be preserved by cherishing, or the body benefited by fostering. Mang Sun Yang What would be a long life? All things were the same as they are now. The five good and bad passions were of old as they are now. So also the safety and peril of the four limbs. Grief and joy for things of this world were of old as they are now. And the constant change 
of peace and revolution. Having seen and heard all these things, one would already be wearied of it at the age of a hundred. How much more after a very long life? Meng Sun Yang If it be so, a sudden death would be preferable to a long life. Therefore, we ought to run onto a pointed sword, or jump into deep water to have what our heart yearns for. Yang Chu No. Having once come into life, regard it and let it pass. Mark its desires and wishes, and so wait death. When death comes, disregard it and let it come. Mark what it brings you, and be drifted away to annihilation. If you pay no regard to life and death, and let them be as they are, how can you be anxious lest our life should end too soon? Chapter 12 Self-Sacrifice and Self-Aggrandizement Yang Chu said, Po Chang Se Kao would not part with a hair of his body for the benefit of others. He quitted his country and became a plowman. The great Yu did not profit by his own body, which grew quite emaciated. If the ancients, by injuring a single hair, could have rendered a service to the world, they would not have done it, and the universe been offered to a single person, he would not have accepted it. As nobody would damage even a hair, and nobody would do a favor for the world, the world was in a perfect state. Qin Si asked Yang Chu, If by pulling out a hair of your body you would aid mankind, would you do it? Yang Chu answered, Mankind is surely not to be helped by a single hair. Chin Se said, But supposing it possible, would you do it? Yang Chu gave no answer. Thereupon, Chin Se told Meng Sun Yang, who replied, I will explain the master's meaning. Supposing, for tearing off a piece of your skin, you were offered ten thousand gold pieces, would you do it? Jin Si said, I would. Mang Sun Yang again asked, Supposing for cutting off one of your limbs you were to get a kingdom, would you do it? Jin Si was silent. See now, said Mang Sun Yang, a hair is unimportant compared with the skin, and the skin also is unimportant compared with a limb. However, many hairs put together form skin, and many skins form a limb. Therefore, though a hair is but one among the many molecules composing the body, it is not to be disregarded. Chin Si replied, I do not know how to answer you. If I were to ask Lao Tse and Quan Yin, your opinion would be found right. And so also, if I were to consult Great Yu and Mei Ti. Mang Sun Yang, upon this, turned round to his disciples and spoke of something else. Footnotes Po Chang Si Kao was a Taoist of the time of Yao. The Great Yu, controller of the Great Flood, which tasks so occupied him that he entirely forgot his own wants.
Guan Yin, the Taoist philosopher. And footnotes. Chapter 13. The Vanity of Reputation. Yang Chu said, The world praises Shun Yu, Duke Chao, and Confucius, and condemns Qi and Xiao. Now Shun had to plow Ho Yang, and to burn tiles in Lei Tse. His four limbs had no rest, and rich food and warm clothing were unknown to him. His parents and kinsfolk did not love him, and his brothers and sisters did not bear him affection. In his thirteenth year, he was obliged to marry without telling his parents. When he received the empire from Yao, he was already an old man and his mental powers were declining. His son, Shang Chun, having no talents, he left the imperial dignity to Yu. Still, he had to toil and slave till he died. Of all mortals, he was the most pitiable and miserable. Kun's services in regulating the water and earthworks being impracticable, he was put to death on Mount Yun Shan. Yu, his son, continued the task, served his enemy, and spent all his energy on the earthworks. When a son was born to him, he could not take him in his arms, nor, in passing his door, did he enter. His whole body became withered, his hands and feet hardened by toil. When Shun yielded the empire to him, he still lived in a small house and wore only an elegant sash and coronet. He also had to toil and slave till he died. Of all mortals, he was the most overworked and fatigued. When King Yu died, Chang was still of tender age, and Duke Chao became Prince Regent. The Duke of Chao was dissatisfied and spread evil rumors about Chao throughout the empire. Chao stayed three years in the east, caused his elder brother to be beheaded and his younger to be banished, and nearly lost his own life. Till he died, he had to toil and slave. Of all mortals, he was the most menaced and terrorized. Confucius was well acquainted with the principles of the old emperors. He accepted the invitations of the princes of his time. But a tree was felled over him in Sung, and his footprints were wiped out in Wei. In Shang and Chao he came to distress, was assaulted in Chen and Sai, humiliated by Qi, and insulted by Yang Hu. Till he died, he had to toil and slave. Of all mortals, he was the most harassed and worried. All these four sages, while alive, had not one day's pleasure, and after their death, a reputation lasting many years. Yet reputation cannot bring back reality. You praise them, and they do not know it, and you honor them, and they are not aware of it. There is now no distinction between them and a clod of earth. Chi availed himself of the wealth of many generations, and attained to the honor of facing south as king. His wisdom was sufficient to restrain his many subjects, and his power great enough to shake the land within the four seas. He indulged in what was agreeable to his eyes and ears, 
and fulfilled his heart's desires. He was gay and merry till death. Of all mortals, he was the most reckless and dissipated. Chow also availed himself of the wealth of many generations, and became king. Everything yielded to his will. Abandoning himself to desires through the long night, he indulged in debauchery in his seraglio, nor did he embitter his life with propriety and righteousness. He was merry and gay till he was put to death. Of all mortals, he was the most licentious and extravagant. These two villains, while alive, took delight in following their own inclination and desires, and after death were called fools and tyrants. Yet reality is nothing that can be given by reputation. Ignorant of censure and unconscious of praise, they differed in no respect from the stump of a tree or a clod of earth. The four sages, though objects of admiration, were troubled up to their very end, and were equally and alike doomed to die. The two villains, though detested and hated by many, remained in high spirits up to the very end, and they too were equally doomed to die. Chapter 14 Difficulty and Ease of Government Yang Chu had an audience with the king of Liang. Yang Chu said, To govern the world is as easy as to turn round the palm of the hand. The king of Liang said, You have a wife and a concubine, master, but are unable to govern them. You have a garden of three acres, but are unable to weed it. How, then, can you say that governing the world is like turning round the palm of the hand? Yang Chu said, Observe, your majesty, the shepherds. One allows a boy only five feet high to shoulder a whip and drive a hundred sheep. He wants them to go eastward, and they obey him, or westward, and they obey him. Now let Yao drag a sheep, and Shen follow with a whip, and they will never advance a yard. Fishes that swallow ships do not enter into small rivers. Wild geese that soar high do not light on low marshes, but are borne over in their flights. The notes C and D do not harmonize with brisk and lively airs, for the sound is too different. Thus a man who manages important matters does not trouble himself about trifles, and he who accomplishes great deeds does no small ones. That was my meaning. Chapter 15 All Things Pass Yang Chu said, The memory of things of highest antiquity is faded. Who recollects them? Of the time of the three generations of emperors, something is preserved, but the rest is lost. Of the five rulers, something is still known, the rest is only guessed at. Of the events during the time of the three emperors, some are veiled in deep obscurity, and some are clear, yet out of a hundred thousand, not one is recollected. Of the things of our present life, some are heard, others seen, yet not one out of ten thousand is recollected. 
it is impossible to calculate the number of years elapsed from remote antiquity to the present day. Only from Fuehsi downwards, there are more than 300,000 years. Every trace of intelligent and stupid men, of the beautiful and ugly, successful and unsuccessful, right and wrong, is effaced, and whether quickly or slowly is the only point of difference. If anybody cares for one hour's blame or praise so much that by torturing his spirit and body he struggles for a name lasting some hundred years after his death, can the halo of glory revive his dried bones, or give it back the joy of living? Footnotes The three generations of emperors, namely those of heaven, those of the earth, and the human emperors, forming the first fabulous epic of Chinese history. The five rulers are Fu Hsi, Shen Nung, Huang Di, Yao, and Shun. The three emperors are Yu, Tang, and Wen Wang, the founders of the first three dynasties. End footnotes. Chapter 16. The Nature of Man. Yang Chu said, Men resemble heaven and earth and that they cherish five principles. Footnote. The moral life of man is based on five principles, virtues. Benevolence, uprightness, propriety, knowledge, and good faith. And footnote. Of all creatures, man is the most skillful. His nails and teeth do not suffice to procure him maintenance and shelter. His skin and sinews do not suffice to defend him. Through running, he cannot attain profit nor escape harm. And he has neither hair nor feathers to protect him from the cold and heat. He is thus compelled to use things to nourish his nature, to rely on his intelligence, and not to put his confidence in brute force. Therefore, intelligence is appreciated because it preserves us, and brute force despised because it encroaches upon things. But I am not the owner of my own body, for I, when I am born, must complete it. Nor do I possess things, for having got them, I must part with them again. The body is essential for birth, but things are essential for its maintenance. If there were a body born complete, I could not possess it, and I could not possess things not to be parted with. For possessing a body or things would be unlawfully appropriating a body belonging to the whole universe, and appropriating things belonging to the universe, which no sage would do. He who regards as common property a body appertaining to the universe, and the things of the universe, is a perfect man, and that is the highest degree of perfection. Chapter 17. The Four Chimeras Yang Chu said, There are four things which do not allow people to rest. Long life, reputation, rank, riches. Those who have them fear ghosts, fear men, power, and punishment. They are always fugitives. Whether they are killed or live, they regulate their lives by externals. 
Those who do not set their destiny at defiance do not desire a long life, and those who are not fond of honor do not desire reputation. Those who do not want power desire no rank. Those who are not avaricious have no desire for riches. Of this sort of men, it may be truthfully said that they live in accordance with their nature. In the whole world they have no equal. They regulate their lives by inward things. There is an old proverb which says, Without marriage and an official career, a man could be free from half of his yearnings. If men could do without clothes and food, there would be no more kings or subjects. Chapter 18 All Pleasures Are Relative A common saying of the chow time is, Can a husbandman sit down and rest? At dawn he sets out, and at night returns. This he considers to be the perpetual course of human nature. He eats coarse fare, which seems to him to be great delicacies. His skin and joints are rough and swollen, and his sinew and joints thickened and swollen. If he could live for one day, clothed in smooth furs, in a silken tent, and eat meat and millet, orchids and oranges, he would grow sick at heart, and his body would grow weak, and his interior fire cause him to fall ill. If, on the other hand, the prince of Shang or Lu were to try to cultivate the land like the farmer, it would not be long before they were both utterly worn out. Yet each one says, In the world there is nothing better than these, our comforts and delights. There was one old farmer of Sung, who never wore anything else than coarse hempen clothes. Even for the winter he had no others. In spring, when cultivating the land, he warmed himself in the sunshine. He did not know that there were such things as large mansions and winter apartments, brocade and silk, furs of fox and badger in the world. Turning one day to his wife, he said, People do not know how pleasant it is to have warm sunshine on the back. I shall communicate this to our prince, and I am sure to get a rich present. A rich man of the village said to him, Once there was a man fond of big beans, hemp stalks, cress, and duckweed. He told the village elder of them. The village elder tasted them, and they burnt his mouth and gave him pains in his stomach. Everybody laughed and was angry with the man who felt much ashamed. Such a man do you resemble. Chapter 19 The Wisdom of Contentment Yang Chu said, How can a body possessing the four things, a comfortable house, fine clothes, good food, and pretty women, still long for anything else? He who does so has an insatiable nature. An insatiableness is a worm that eats body and mind. Loyalty cannot set the sovereign at ease but perhaps may imperil one's body. Righteousness cannot help the world, but perhaps may do harm to one's life. The sovereign's peace, not being brought about by loyalty, the fame of the loyal dwindles to nothing, and the world, deriving no profit from righteousness, the fame of the righteous amounts to naught. How the sovereign and subjects can alike be set at ease and how the world and I can simultaneously be helped is set forth in the dictum of the ancients.
You say said. He who renounces fame has no sorrow. Lao Tse said. Fame is the follower of reality. Now, however, as people pursue fame with such frenzy, does it not really come of itself if it is disregarded? At present, fame means honor and regard. Lack of fame brings humbleness and disgrace. Again, ease and pleasure follow upon honor and regard. Sorrow and grief attend humbleness and disgrace. Sorrow and grief are contrary to human nature. Ease and pleasure are in accord with it. These things have reality. Footnote. You say, a philosopher reputed to have lived B.C. 1250. And footnote. And Yang Chu's Garden of Pleasure. This recording is in the public domain.